When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe, and then you'll never miss a video. In cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of The Final Word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and The Final Word. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Final Word Ashes Daily Podcast. I am Isabel Westbury, your super sub, I think that's on theme, and Jeff Lemon, Jeff Lemon, spit it out, is here beside me because it has been a brilliant day's play on day two of the sole Ashes test between England and Australia's women in Canberra at the Monica Oval. The sun is shining, shining, we're all a bit sweaty but none more so, I don't think, than Heather Knight. Jeff Lemon, you've got 30 seconds to describe today's play. Off you go. Right, 3.27 for seven when Australia resumed. They wanted to bat on to 400. It didn't work. Lost a couple of wickets. They said, bugger this, we're declaring. Get them in. Cloudy weather. Ball was hooping. It almost worked. They had England 120 for six. Heather Knight was only on 57 and then on she went. 127 not out by stumps. Found an able ally in Sophie Eccleston, the only one who actually did anything else with the bat today. And they're only 102 behind, uh, having evaded the follow-on with the chance to go on tomorrow. That was succinctly done. I'd, I'd say you're under, underneath 30 seconds. You, you've done this before, Jeff. I have. I have. We've, we've, I've had a little bit of practice. I've dabbled. But today was highly entertaining. I liked the I liked the dynamism of the early Australian method of saying, let's not get the 11 out and try to scrap out another five or six overs and make another four runs. Bugger it. 
get them off. Let's start bowling. It was brilliant because they realised that they were not, they didn't wrestle the upper hand and they weren't going to get the 400 that they really wanted to bat once and bat big and then bowling England out twice. And so Meg Lanning showed that not only will she say with words that they want to win, but with actions too. And um, add to that as well, I mean, Catherine Brunt, the veteran Catherine Brunt, mm-hmm. she's almost, I mean, she's you 18. You have to call her that. It's compulsory now. 2004, I think she made yeah. her debut. So, you know, five. you... Test debut in 05. Yeah, you probably... We were almost, right you know, you're it. almost talking about two decades playing for England and she's got another five foot and she was leading England's attack. It was brilliant bowling. And again, just... England's bowling matched up with Australia's bowling. I thought both teams bowled really good lengths, disciplined as well. But apart from Heather Knight, it was the, the fielding, the indiscipline there that really stood in contrast between the two teams. And hence, at the moment, this 100-run gap between them. Yes, yes, I, I suppose we might come to this later in the programme. But the difference for me between uh, Darcy Brown's incredibly athletic running catch from mid-on to dive and get rid of Amy Jones compared to the non-catch of Rachel Haynes when she played the same shot in Australia's innings and spooned it wide of mid on and it just dropped between the two fielders that that said a lot um, but the day started with Brunt and as you say I mean swing they had a newish ball they had cloudy weather uh, and the ball was really going and Sutherland and Jonathan you know they're, they're better than eights and nines you know they don't need to be batting that low but they were both nicked off well no uh, Sutherland was bowled by an absolute beauty and in a way, it's a shame that it happened so early in the day because events soon overtook it. But in terms of the history books, this is really quite momentous. When you think about Brunt now, she's got 48 test wickets, which has now put her in the top 10 of all-time women's test wicket takers. And if you look actually at the number of overs that she's bowled, she's the fewest of all of them. Mm. And bearing in mind that, that Brunt is playing in a decade where test cricket was kind of over the last yeah the last 10 years it's been kind of cast aside and the t20 game has been focused on i've got no problem with that in a way because i think it's really driven forward the women's game but she has played she's bowled far fewer overs than a number of the other women in history books that she was up against and played far fewer matches um, because there was you know there were decades when test tours happened more frequently or when test series would at least be three matches so even if you only played in say four series you'd still get rack up a dozen test matches the likes of Lanning and Healy and so on have played six tests in their careers and they've been playing for 10 years. So in that 10 years that, that Brunt's been going around, she's only got to, you know, she's played a couple against India as well, so maybe it's eight test matches in the last 10 years. And if you just take away those sheer statistics and numbers that you find on all the wonderful cricket sites, if you think as well that she, she won't have been practising that skill... You know, she she's played most of her cricket having to focus on the white ball out of necessity more than anything else. So to be able to to have that control, that discipline, not to react and overcompensate, ball it too short, but to really pitch it up and keep it passing that outside edge time and again. I mean, that is what's remarkable. And also fair play to a number of the Australian bowlers that also really kept their lengths up. But for Brunt to do that for so long and to still be England's leading spearhead at the top of the attack is um, it's quite remarkable. Five for 60 she ended up with. Uh, six catches for Amy Jones in the end. So that equaled the record for a women's test innings. She went level with that record set in 1992. And uh, so Australia only got to 337 when they declared. And then England came out to bat and uh, didn't start well. They... I mean, it was sloppy stuff. It was Lauren Winfield Hill just having a... It wasn't even a sort of loose cover drive. It was a weird little wristy sort of 
skewed wallop at a ball outside the off stump that she nicked from Darcy Brown. Beth Mooney's at second slip, takes a good catch, and then Beaumont pins by Perry. And I was, uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts. And from a technical point of view, I was watching Beaumont with that really high back lift, and I thought there's no way she can defend properly in a, as, in a test innings with the back lift like that. Because if she comes down at the ball, she's going to be meeting it with such force that any defensive edge will go will carry for a catch. And if it's seeming into her, she won't be able to get the bat down to cut it off. And that's exactly what happened. It seemed in, and she couldn't get the bat down in time. I thought that both dismissals of the England openers were indicative of two batters that just don't play red ball cricket. We know that Tammy Beaumont is an extremely attacking, aggressive cricketer in one day format. T20, she's a T20 ICC cricketer of the year. And actually, it immediately reminded me of Australia's openers, um, mm. who also really struggled with the ball on a seeming pitch, a good pitch. I think that we should definitely shout out, this is a brilliant pitch. It's got something in it for everybody. And I think Brunt has already said that as well. She came off the pitch honestly, off the, off, the, off the field, after having taken a fiver, instead of talking anything about her wickets, it was all about how happy she was to play on a pitch that had something for everything. Mm. Such a humble person as well. But no, I felt as though both England's opening pair, both Australia's opening pair was just, this is, these are people that don't play that much test cricket. Lauren Winfield-Hill, I mean, that was, it was classic really. It's one she did not have to play at and, and she did. And in, in a way, I mean, part of me wants to go, oh, this is awful, but also, you know, they don't play anything longer than limited overs cricket at domestic level what what do we expect yeah yeah how are you supposed to become accustomed to doing what you need to do um so there are a couple of wickets there perry bowled seven overs off the top of the innings on the spin and, and she was very accurate but there was there was a contrast that stood out to me so england were two down with 23 on the board australia were two down with four on the board in the first innings and when australia were two down they still counter-attacked they didn't they didn't go wild but they went after just about every bad ball England bowled, particularly every short ball with some width, they put it away. The Australians bowled heaps of short wide balls today, like Darcy Brown, Sutherland, Talia McGrath. I mean, Perry didn't really, but those other three, they bowled well for probably five balls of an over, and almost every over they had one drag down that was wide that either got a sort of windy cut shot that missed it or wasn't played at. So, it, like, England didn't take the opportunities to push back, and it meant the score went nowhere there was no pressure put back onto the Australians and so Siva was out there for 42 balls to make 15 and just kind of potted around and, and nudged one or two here or there. By the time she got out, the scoreboard had gone nowhere. Sophia Dunkley, she hit three boundaries just before she got out but up until that point hadn't been scoring and so the scoreboard hadn't really gone anywhere. Amy Jones was the same. Heather Knight was batting with all of them and making all of the runs but those three weren't making any. Jones gets out for 13 having been there for ages. All of them batted for 10 overs or so but barely made any runs and it just meant that by the time they got a good delivery they hadn't actually put anything on uh, and that that was the difference and that again is why Australia are 100 runs ahead um, England just two wickets left is because Australia are playing a team game and at the moment England is just it's, it's an individual sport because Heather Knight did go after the bad balls if you look at her century she's unbeaten 127 13 fours and a six she her strike rate was above 50 she made sure you know she didn't go into her shell when these wickets were falling around her so she was the only person from England that did and has got the century unbeaten beaten for it. Australia didn't get a century, but four half centuries. You know, there was real support. This was a team effort. And possibly the most disappointing thing from an England perspective is that numbers three, four and five, so Nat Siver, Sophia Dunkley and Amy Jones, all got into their teens, all faced more than 30 balls, all got in 
and then got out. And to do that when you've got night, all you all you need to do is support her. I mean, say all you need to do is have cricket. It's, it's hard. I mean, sure. don't take that away. But you already have your set batter. Night is going well. You kind of just need to copy her. And again, I realise that I'm saying this sitting up here in my ivory tower. But I think for the calibre of players that we have up there, what we've seen them do in white ball cricket, and we know what they're capable of, that was just, a, it was a brain fade. Um, and it was really, it was, it's unfortunate for England, who... I mean, despite Knight's brilliance, really quite far behind in the game. I thought her timing was a class apart. She looked much more comfortable out there in terms of being able to, say, take the pace of Darcy Brown off the hip for one, get on the front foot and go through cover when, when she got one pitched up. Um, Siva got a good ball that jagged back in and she was worried it was going to bowl her. She was trying to get a bit of bat in the way and just got an inside edge through to the keeper. But Dunkley had a sort of sleepy dismissal. She was just holding the bat outside the line of the off-stump last ball before drinks uh, as though she just wanted to dead bat it and just got an inside edge back onto the stumps. Didn't even really need to be playing out there. Um, Amy Jones tries a pull shot to a ball that wasn't even short and, and just cloughed it up in the air because what else was going to happen? Brunt gets done LBW by King for one. Um, Charlie Dean gets dropped at short leg and then the next ball has a slog sweep out to the deep and gets caught for nine and then Anya Shrubsole comes out and bats for a while and um, chips one up in, into the covers for three. And so then Sophie Eccleston comes out at number 10. First of all, what the hell is Sophie Eccleston doing at number 10? As if she's not a better player with the bat than any of Brunt, Dean or Shrubsole. I mean, she's compact, she's technically correct, she hits straight and she looked completely unfazed. She was the first one out there at that point in the day who looked like she could bat with Heather Knight, who by this point was on 92 when Eccleston came to the crease. Yeah, although I, part of me thinks is that because she came out at the stage when everything had crumbled before her, that she kind of didn't have any pressure on her. Um, and she was able, you know, she's still very young and she was able to play a bit more freely once they got past that follow-on. I mean, I understand Brunt, she, she, she can be, she has the capacity to be a really good all-rounder. Charlie Dean's playing... Does in, she, though? I, oh, so I think so. so. I, I, I want to ask, this, this is a curiosity of mine about English women's cricket, there is this mass delusion that Catherine Brunt is an all-rounder. She is she, not no, an she's all-rounder. Not. She's a baller, she, but she has the capacity to be a good batter in the lower middle order. Yes, but not a number seven in test cricket. Like, like They've batted her in the top six in T20 cricket for the last five years, for the most part. They've batted her in the top seven in the one-day team, and they've batted her at seven in this test match. And I... I've never been able to understand it. There's always this idea that she's about to develop her batting. She's not about no, to develop it. She's at the far end of her I career. I would disagree just because I don't think that... I don't, so Char Charlotte Dean in her first test match, Anya Shropsall, again, hasn't really shown it with the bat. And Sophie Eccleston, I, I, don't, I, don't, I feel like if she'd come in at number seven, mm. she wouldn't have played the innings that she did. No, but if they picked that bowling attack, those five bowlers on the basis that Brunt could bat at seven that was incorrect because she can't. She's not good enough to do it. She's played nearly 250 matches for England. She's made three half centuries in that time. Right, but to, England used that extra space to pick an extra bowler. Yeah. So because they wanted to win, they needed a result. Yeah. So they're going to take that risk. And it means your batting lineup is going to be a lot smaller. Mm. So I, I, I don't, I don't it think... It just puzzles me. It's just that there, there yeah. always seems to be this argument that she's an all-rounder. Her batting numbers are awful. She, she occasionally makes a 30 or I think she's made a 40, maybe three other times. She, occasionally there'll be a 20 or a 30, but almost all of her career innings are single figures. She's, she averages in the teens in all three formats. She's not a good player with the bat. She's okay, but she's a number 10. 
she she can come out and slog a twenty once in a while. Right, but I also think that there's probably a few more issues that England have with their yes. batting lineup than Catherine Brunt, whether she should be a number seven. I'm just curious about. <laughs> it. I've just been pondering it all day, so I had to. I had to okay, ask about okay. It. Um, I haven't thought about it at all. Okay. <laughs> if it helps. <laughs> I'm glad that I sprung that on you. So, but the Heather Knight story. So she's she was on 57 when they were 120 for six, and at this point they needed 188 to avoid the follow-on. We're thinking they're not even going to get to that. And then, as I said, she's 92 when Eccleston comes out. She gets to the 100 and the rest, cruises past it to 127. And when Eccleston went past, well, she, she hit a four to go to 19. And at that point, it was Heather Knight on a 120 and Eccleston was the only other player to have gone past 15 <laughs> in the innings. It's a bizarre scorecard. It was really weird. Um, and, and again, just I think the, the contrast between Knight and a and other mm-hmm. was was just remarkable. I mean, again, yeah, before Eccleston, nobody went beyond twenty. No one went beyond fifteen, as you say. And that, I think again, that just shows you. It's in a way, I think it is lazy to start making comparisons to the men's game, and maybe it's just because I'm jaded, having watched five men's tests here, and they were all utterly awful as far as England were concerned. <laughs> but I do think that you can speak about Heaven Knight and Joe Root in the same breath, in in simply in the manner in which they've managed. To to kind of detach themselves or sever mm. the burden of being the captain of a test team that just does not have the batting capacity and all of the other off-field things that go along with COVID and changing mm-hmm. protocols and for Heather Knight especially she came here they had sort of three weeks of self-imposed isolation before they even got to Australia because Omicron variant was starting people were having their partners doing throwdowns she got here when they were flying over here I think the biosecure protocols were tightened so there were concerns there she got here she was a close contact of the support member of staff that got covid so she had to isolate once more then the ashes were rearranged and then they had them washed out which meant that any even chance really of of getting the ashes under her captaincy something she's really still not she hasn't got yet were completely swept away i mean i would have been sort of screaming and yelling topless around canberra in you know in despair at this point but she's she's she's, she doesn't she's quite happy to just concentrate on what she can control and that is what I mean, Joe Root had slightly different things to contend with, but still, this is what's remarkable, and this is why these are such good batters and such good captains of their country. After, well, well, actually, I don't think Joe Root's a great captain, but anyway, anyway. A, 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 a leader with the bat. Uh, so yes, after two days yes. of this test match, Heather Knight has been off the field for 11 balls. No, 13, sorry, 2.1 overs. As in, because she came in at number three. So that's how long it took for the first wicket to fall and for her to come in. So she's been on the field for all but 2.1 overs. Uh, She will resume on the third day on 127 with Eccleston. uh, We've batted really well, faced 70 balls. She's 27, not out. Uh, They're 102 behind. They might be able to close that gap up a little bit more. Who knows? Um, As for the Hall of Fame, the, the most final word moments of the day, I enjoyed Rachel Haynes at short leg trying to take a catch in that sort of like, you know, Michelangelo in the opening credits of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon where he's like spinning on his back on his shell on the dance floor, like that kind of thing, like sort of some sort of break dance, trying to wriggle backwards to stop the ball from rolling off her body when she didn't know where it was and then couldn't hang on to it and it spilled away. It would make for great GIF material where there was a catch that, well it wasn't a catch I mean it, it was one to short leg where she got it with her foot first and then it sort of bobbled onto her head almost and then she thought she had an 
another chance at it again and tumbled back and it was all well it was a point when Australia were dominant so there was lots of smiles and laughs on the field I quite enjoyed there was one particular comment from Elisa Healy behind the stumps when I can't remember who was batting at the time I think it was before Brian had come in possibly Knight, when Knight was batting Knight when she patted the ball away and then it was Alana King wasn't it who was Healy bowling, who said shy of the stumps and appeal for obstruction just as Brunt had done in the previous innings and there was a bit of tit for tat there which I quite enjoyed or having said that maybe even Knight managing to take Ashley Gardner out of the attack with her second ball smashing it for six over long on when things were really going against, against England. Slog sweep, got down Brilliant low stuff. and, and pulverised it and then she tried to go again the next ball and whacked it straight into short leg. Rachel Haynes will have a few yeah. bruises there. Um, also the, the unusual sight of the, so Lanning was at silly mid-off yes, at one point. Yes, I was point. going to say. Captain and vice captain under the lids, that's what you want to see. Don't put the junior player in there, put the boss in there. And perhaps we should also say that Alana King, her mm-hmm. first, her maiden test wicket, I I thought she bowled beautifully. I thought it was really fun to watch. I thought that, yeah, she really took it to England. She ripped the ball as well. And you could see her increasing in her confidence and the ball turning even more as the session got on. I think she could have quite a good um, a long career ahead of her. Mm-hmm. Yep, she was confident. She got her first wicket. And a uh, last word for Heather Knight, who did bat beautifully, as well as the, the more entertaining, the more amusing things. There were some gorgeous cover drives, square drives, played the pull shot, uh, did everything she possibly could. And she's um, scored about, what, she scored over half of England's runs. She's at about 55% of their runs at the moment. So uh, she'll be back on day three, as will we. Jeff Lemon and Izzy Westbury on the final word. Ashes daily. That's what it suggests. It's on every day. That the Ashes test is on. We'll see you on day three. Ready? You know what I meant here. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.